When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't ask anybody's question but yours. You're an idiot. And really a disloyal person. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Disloyal Idiots, a fans first sports net podcast that I still can't stop saying Trunions is an absolute podcast for. Uh, <laughs> what are we doing this week? Uh, trying to comprehend how the Yankees have the worst record in the AL East and how the Pirates have the second best record in the MLB. Uh, get ready for this week's World Series preview. Tampa Bay Rays, Pittsburgh Pirates, Tuesday That's through this Thursday. Week? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> With an average attendance of 12,000. Oh, I, I would have left Hon- it at 12. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, though, like. If Tampa Bay cannot move at least 50 to 75% of the inventory for Pirates Rays this week, uh, you do have to see what's going on. Um, although I do appreciate Tampa Bay not pulling in Oakland and just doing the like, hey, we're moving to Florida, uh, Orlando or something uh, until or move you know, or, or move to Florida because, you know, St. Petersburg is questionably Florida at the best. <laughs> I saw Spring something as part around, of this. Boys. I was gonna say I, I saw something where uh, relocation Nashville is trying really hard to get a team and feels as if uh, they're gonna be positive, and I almost feel like the the Nashville Rays are going to happen. And now all I can think of is Nashville Ray, which is just a dude with a banjo. Uh, I want this to happen. It yes. won't happen. Well, but it, that'll be the perfect rebrand. No, it won't be Nashville Ray because that's already been copyrighted and patented by 20 other people. <laughs> Fair. Fair. So, yeah. yeah, so since we, we took off directly onto a tangent, I'm Steve Haller. With me, as always, Christian Guzman <laughs> and Andy Pregler. Uh, <laughs> it's been a weird week around here. We had some highs. We had some lows. We also had some NFL draft. So what do you say we go right into it? We no. talk about the big boys. <laughs> no, joking. The big boys? Talk about the big boys. Literally big boys? <laughs> Literally big boys. Uh, Literally the big boy. Uh, Matthew Bergeron, first Syracuse player off the board, taken in the second round by the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, we talked about it a little bit uh, early on in the draft evaluation process that Bergeron was a name to watch after his impressive senior bowl week. TLDR. It sounds like Bergeron continued to impress in both group settings at the Combine and in individual settings at Pro Days and individual workouts and evaluations. Obviously, this is great for Syracuse. This is great for Dino Babers. You know, you continually show that you have players that are not highly ranked uh, out of high school that you could turn into second round and above NFL draft picks. That's that's what you really want. I think one of the things, Steve, that's really interesting here is why Bergeron is so attractive. And over the last three years, when Bergeron has been on campus, we have talked so much about offensive line instability. And really, Bergeron playing through all that 
gaining a ton of flexibility seemed to be the reason why NFL teams started really gravitating towards him as a high value draft pick. Yeah, he, I think he started every game in, did, did he ever have an injury stretch? Like since he gained the starting role, he started every game for Syracuse. He's Man, one of, he's one of the most experienced kids they could have drafted, especially at the talent level they did. He's a huge frame that, has decent feet and needs to work his hands. Um, it's he's he was just a, a lot of a high upside guy, and if he kept impressing in individuals, then okay, like it totally makes sense that he moved up as high as he did. I know when we first started talking, he was what what were we saying like maybe fifth sixth round, and workouted his way. I'm going to use that as a word now. Workouted his way up into the second so um and, and actually on on or right before draft day there was even rumblings that he might like eke into late first um i think if things had fallen differently i know buffalo was extremely high on him that they may have snagged him there uh which would have been an instant buy for me as far as uh, new jersey's go but yeah i i mean he was probably the fifth best tackle in the the draft and tackles were flying off the board. I think people are realizing that they need offensive linemen. I think the interesting also thing with Bergeron is that while we, while, you know, he played tackle all throughout college and people were listing him as tackle during the, uh, as a, throughout the draft, a lot of NFL teams were looking at him as a guard. Right. Um, and just main, mainly because of the, you know the hands, especially in pass protection, um, that uh, that were a little bit of a concern. Um, right, and that but, was kind of the only knock on him was his yeah. his wide sets for pass pro were mm-hmm. not phenomenal. So it what you're saying fits perfectly. And so they moved him inside, uh, so that one you could also take advantage of that. You know the, the tremendous run blocking he does. And two, imagine going from blocking for Sean Tucker to blocking for Bijan Robinson. Because okay. that's essentially what the Falcons did. They drafted yeah. the running back they want, and then they drafted the run blocker that they needed to get that running back into open space. Wait, running backs exist in the NFL? No, uh, no, just converted wide receivers. Okay, right. That sometimes pass block, which is why Sean Tucker didn't get drafted. I don't think that's the reason why he didn't get drafted. One of many reasons. <laughs> yeah. I was mainly yeah. talking about the Falcons and Cordero Patterson, but you know, that's besides the point. Oh, forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Falcons, the Falcons very quickly on offense, just have a bunch of dudes that you can pretty much put it any, anywhere in the backfield. Uh, it kind of feels like they created a Canadian football league team. Like you could have any of those guys doing the hyper, uh, pre-snap motion stuff and it would work and be terrifying uh, but yet their quarterback is going to be Desmond Ritter. So what, you're, so what you're saying is that the Falcons should have acquired Matt Canada somehow. Oh, <laughs> dream. Don't get, don't get me too excited about that. Uh, I'm still coming down from the Joey Porter Jr. hype that oh, everybody geez. knew was going to happen but. <laughs> well that was I, was, I was literally sitting there watching it and I'm like I had the, just, the way it was on obvious. mute, so I wasn't hearing anything. And I see like the players available, and I'm like, "Oh, Joey Porter Jr. hasn't gone." And then I like looked away, and I looked back up, and Pittsburgh was on the board. And I'm like, "No, nah, he's gone." 
Like they hadn't even made the pick. I'm like, no, he'll be gone. Yeah, there's yeah. no chance. <laughs> yeah, that was that was as telegraphed as telegraph goes. Uh, what wasn't quite as telegraphed was Garrett Williams also uh, getting picked up uh, where he did. Um, I believe. Hold on, I'm looking it up right now because I don't remember. Uh, yeah, he went to the Arizona Cardinals um, in the third round. So. I think that was another one where a little bit higher than we anticipated Garrett going based off of where draft chatter was moving. But overall, I think if you said before this season that Garrett Williams would become a third round corner, I would 100% agree because I think we've probably been one of the most pro Garrett Williams media outlets out there. Uh, but obviously this season he had... Not necessarily a bad season, but not quite as good as of, of a season as he's had in the past in Orange. Um, but he works his way into a third round draft pick with the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, seems like it'll be a decent fit there. Yeah, as long as his, you know, as long as he recovers well enough from his um, from his injury, his ACL injury, um, like the Cardinals. The Cardinals need a replacement at corner because, you know, Buda Baker is uh, requested a trade. So they need someone at defensive back to you know, help replace that. So honestly, I don't know too much about the Cardinals other than that. But it, it, it's, uh, it does feel like a little bit of reach because I think Garrett was going to go fourth round. But um, I, I think there, there's, a, there's a lot of intangibles that he, that he brings that... Um, that that making a popular pick. Yeah, and of note, it was uh, also. I mean, both of them went in the top seventy-five. That is the first time that has happened in Syracuse Orange parlance since two thousand one. So it's been a bit. Oh. That was yeah. <laughs> yes, Andy, that reaction is uh, is accurate. Uh, that was there was a slight there was a slightly de more depressing stat that I also put in our uh, in our Slack during the day as well. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. What was what, where? Where are we there? Because uh, Will Allen and Eric Downing were the two that were drafted in 2001. But uh, what, so those uh, what less depressing stat, which will which I know will expand on later because we're going to need to. When was the last time a skill position player was drafted in the first three rounds? Oh, I know. I know. I know. I don't know. Um, I'm going to go not, with. Two th I'm no, you were born. <laughs> oh oh geez i don't know donovan McNabb. <laughs> yes it was the McNabb draft no, with kevin johnson i was gonna as say well, technically the, the last person that got drafted was kevin johnson but yeah. <laughs> they were both in that draft oh. yeah but kevin johnson was the first pick in the second round so yep. basically first rounder yep so yeah oh i just remember so i i was just thinking about something here so Andre Cisco, um, where did he get drafted again? He was a third round pick as well. I think he was like one of the first picks on the third round. Yeah, pretty early. Yeah, pick sixty five. Um, so like so, the first or second pick in the th the first pick in the third round. Yep. Yep. Uh, and then we had Garrett Williams go in the third round. Obviously, we're gonna have eyes on. Um, we would have had eyes on a bunch of other uh, defensive backs. Uh, this year, but it does seem like 
there is a pipeline of development talent happening at Syracuse, uh, which, hey, if you can go to a three star and tell them I can turn you into a third run NFL draft pick, that is a that is not a thing that a lot of places can say, especially with the Georgia consolidation of NFL talent that seems to be happening, uh, especially in Pennsylvania with both the Steelers and Eagles just trying to snap up every Georgia player known to mankind. Um, but in general, uh, I do think that this is something that the uh, Syracuse coaching staff should be really hitting hard on. Um, and again, no Jahar Carter and Deuce Chestnut will not be on the Syracuse Orange team this year. But this is a 100 percent scenario where when those guys get drafted, like you look at their development, a good portion of their development took place at Syracuse. And that is something that you can hang your hat on. Uh, at so, least when it comes to coaching development. So, you know, that's a, a, a positive that they're going to try and spin, but I, you must have missed it a couple weeks ago. Kevin found a wonderfully horrible stat uh, that Syracuse is in the, what, bottom 20 in developing three-star talent? Or yeah, three, yeah, stars, like three stars drafted? So it's like, yeah, they can sell that, and they can they can use that to sell it, but when the, as long as they don't look up the stats on it. <laughs> I was I'm literally pulling that up right now. Three star. Um, yes, uh, the athletic earlier this week had a piece called three star you, which was the best, which schools are the best and worst at developing talent. Um, and it looked at basically every every star rating uh, shocker. The teams that are pretty good are the, at the top of the five and four star development rankings. Um, but then when you get down to the three star development rankings, uh, I think what is surprising is that, yes, it's also the good teams. It's Alabama, Ohio State, LSU, Florida, Oklahoma, Penn State, Florida State at the top of those development rankings. And then, yes, Syracuse at a 4.2 percent draft rate of three stars when Syracuse has had nine three stars drafted before this week's draft uh, out of 213 signed. That is one, two, three, four, five, sixth worst ratio in the uh, out there right now, which is not ideal when your roster is predominantly made up of of three star players. <laughs> We're worse than Northwestern on this. Now that said, the other thing is, uh, like like you said, the way they did this study was signed versus drafted. So inherently the schools that are also better at developing high level talent are going to sign less three stars, but have them more likely to develop because they're going to be the high threes. What yeah. we get is a full roster of threes. And that's when you look at those teams, it's what Kansas, Iowa state, Colorado, Duke, Washington state, Northwestern, like all, all teams we would expect in that talent pool with us. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a weird stat and it's not, doesn't look great for Syracuse, but it's also, I guess, now that now that we've talked our way around it a couple times, not as damning as it initially th sounds. I, I think one of the big issues that you're going to consistently have with this is that, again, um, Christian and I were kind of talking about this pre pre pod. Um, you know, when you're talking about football recruitment and you're dealing with the the mess that is guys coming coming in and out, um, it's it's just going to it's just going to be messy. It's never going to be clean. Um and I think that you see these drafted in the era of the transfer portal. Um, I wanted to get into this later in the show, um, and we will, because uh, we're going to talk about the football transfer portal stuff. Uh, it becomes imperative that Syracuse is active in the portal uh, 
at all times, but especially this time of the year when you know what you have and what you don't have from spring practice and you need to work on that. That is a tease for later on because there's still other guys that went in the NFL draft. Uh, Aaron, well, not sorry, didn't go in the NFL what? draft, did not go in the NFL draft, but got signed. Uh, let's start with the big one, which is Sean Tucker. Tucker went undrafted uh, and is signing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Jeremy Fowler is reporting that uh, he got a $150,000 signing bonus uh, from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, that's not necessarily uncommon, but it is not something that's usually reported on. So I think that there's some uh, it seemed as if there was an agreement between Tampa Bay and Sean Tucker that, look, we're not going to draft a, a running back. We could really use a running back, but you're going to come here and get an opportunity to join this room. And while it's not the same Tom Brady, Tampa Bay Buccaneers team that was before, it does seem like a team that is pretty much built to be kind of a carbon copy of what Syracuse was the last couple of years, which is uh, we're going to hand the ball to the running back and we need you to kind of make some space here. Yeah. It's like Tampa Bay's running back room is the, a a yeah to begin with. <laughs> so, um, I mean, so it, it depends on how Tampa wants to play. Do are they going to go five wide a lot with Baker Mayfield just trying to, you know, find Mike Evans and Chris Godwin a ton? Maybe that also plays under Tucker with his pass catching abilities. Um, as long as so it doesn't maybe, pay into his or play into his pass blocking abilities, mm-hmm. <laughs> because we know that's really Tucker's biggest weakness is his pass his pass blocking. And the the other thing is that first, the, probably the big thing, you hope he's okay. Yeah, because of the the uh, medical reports that came out. So like, you're like. For anything, yeah, for, anyone that that didn't hear, uh, for anyone that didn't hear, there were some reports out that there was some medical stuff that surfaced with Tucker, uh, kind of that that kept him out of the combine and or uh, pro day for Syracuse. He held his own pro day after that um, and got some looks from there and apparently got some looks from the Bucks at least. Um, so that was that's what Christian's referring to, because I, I think I don't know how widely spread that was. I know it went around the, the Twitter sphere quick, but. It was, uh, yeah, it just there's kinda, yet to be any reputable the, yeah, no, confirmation of what it was. But the language that they use that he was cleared to play definitely implies a severity there that is a red flag and would yeah. lead to you not drafting him without the full story coming out. Right. He so didn't, I think he didn't pull the, a the most, <laughs> Yeah. And the most reputable news that we know is that whatever whatever was going on medical wise for Tucker, it was discovered at the combine, which is why he didn't mm. participate at the combine and at subsequent Syracuse's pro day. Gotcha. So, so this wasn't something that was known during the season. Um, so we'll, whether that's a recent thing that developed or it's something that Syracuse's medical staff missed, which unfortunately is something that probably could have happened with Syracuse's training staff giving its, its track record. But, like, I I would like to think it's more so the former of something that, you know, is a 
uh, something that just creeped up or something that's so incredibly rare to find that it really takes some like skilled skilled eyes to look at in like a full physical yeah so yeah. remember that ryan clark had no idea that he had sickle cell until his first football road trip to yeah. denver uh which was as a pro and not not in college uh exactly. because he played at lsu and played in the sec so there's and, there's and, 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 and I, as was our discussion in uh in our in our pre uh in our pre pod chat uh depth levels and sea levels are very important in athletic <laughs> events yes very <laughs> true <laughs> uh yeah so the i will say the one thing about tucker landing in tampa bay uh christian to your point i did not realize how bad that uh lot of uh, running back room is we got R- rashad white <laughs> yeah Chase Edmonds, Keyshawn vaughn and patrick laird um those are names i think that tucker is very quickly probably number two uh but on that I, i'll never forget this stat back when baker was Attempting to be a thing, um, Mina Kimes on her NFL podcast, which I highly recommend people listen to if you're into the NFL, uh, was breaking down the Baker Mayfield conundrum. And essentially, uh, in a play action offense, one that runs the ball uh, more than 55% of the time in a traditional uh, manner, either with a you know 3D handoff or out of a shotgun handoff, uh, when he is a play action quarterback on play action plays, he is like the fifth most effective quarterback in the NFL. Uh, when it, it, the play is not play action and the offense is running the ball less than 55% of the time, Baker Mayfield becomes, I think like the 35th best quarterback in the NFL. Um, there is a very clear recipe to success with Baker Mayfield. And it is running a very old school offense where he is basically running play action. Um, so if Tampa Bay wants to play into Baker's strengths, I think it's very good for Sean Tucker. Uh, if Tampa Bay is going to try to do what every other offensive coordinator in the NFL has done and turn Baker Mayfield into some semblance of what he was at Oklahoma, uh, I think that Sean Tucker is going to have to really work on that pass blocking. Now, there is a problem with that. Syracuse also is not a school that employs the play action. So... We, well, Sean, Tucker, Sean Tucker is not necessarily experienced at taking the fake handoff. I was going to say, Sean Tucker is used to a run-heavy offense from last year. This past year was was weird. Um, this I still don't love this past year's offense at times, um, but that's a conversation from the other day. Uh, talking about some of the other players that ended we up will, getting we, drafted. We will have that conversation because you've now intrigued me, so... Let's put that yeah. one on the shelf for a couple of weeks from now once we get into true yeah. offseason content. I wrote an article about what I think Syracuse's offense should have done. And that's <laughs> what I said five minutes ago. There you go. Or not even not even five minutes ago. Two minutes ago. <laughs> uh well, the 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 one person who was able to put up points for Syracuse, Andre Schmidt, did not get drafted, which I think was to be expected. Um kickers don't typically get drafted, but he is signed with the Bears, who no, never notorious for cycling through multiple kickers in a season. The Chicago Bears have never done that before. Um, so <laughs> good luck to uh, good luck to Schmidt happening in Chicago. And then probably the biggest surprise, I would say, Mikel Jones uh, ended up going undrafted and he signed with the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, is this really as simple as he's just small and guys didn't see a Zaire Franklin 2.0 and he's going to have to kind of prove that he's Zaire Franklin 2.0. Zaire was not huge coming out either. That's what I mean. It's like, 
if you want a comp, if you want a comp for Mikel, let's look yeah. at what Zaire Franklin has become in like years, same program, not exactly the same coaching staff, but same fun, mm. like a lot of the same fundamentals here. Like they're, you, they're basically I, the same player. Yeah. Right. I, I think that Mikel's probably better uh, coming out than, than Zaire was. Zaire was very much a years pinned back downhill running tackler. Um, and I think Mikel's a lot more nuanced in his game. So it did feel weird to me that with the breakout that Franklin had this year, uh, that nobody kind of looked at the NFL loves lazy comparisons. Syracuse interior linebacker, Syracuse interior linebacker. Like, I don't know. I thought uh, I thought that uh, was weird. undersized locker room leader. Yeah, there's there's some comparisons. But um, yeah, I mean, it's I mean, he played I, on special teams in college. That's where Zaire got his start as yeah. well. <laughs> I almost wonder and it's it's an again it's a conversation that could go down a rabbit hole but like does the like should the nfl just nix the last like three rounds of the draft <laughs> because ha- we we've talked for years about how like six and seven you're better off just going un- undrafted and like finding a team that actually fits instead of the team that maybe took you because they you were the best available at the time instead of a team that actually wanted you no, it's a great way to license seven hours of television. Mm, true. I mean, I think I think that you have stumbled upon something, Steve. Major League Baseball obviously has done this, where they've shortened their draft down a bunch. NBA, uh, did. but a lot of that is also because they. It's, a, it's not. It's not shortened enough. Well, it's the other part. Well, the other part of that they they had to do it because they literally got rid of. 30% of the development leagues. So that's you true. don't, you can get rid of 30% of the players. Yeah. Um, like that's, that's part of it. But I do think that I, I think fundamentally, I know that the players union would love it because that opens the opportunity for a larger open market. And people can obviously, when you have people competing for services, that means some prices and, and, uh, wages typically go up. Um, I don't know if that's the reason the NFL doesn't want to do it. But I, I do think that you're onto something here because it does feel like, especially in those last few picks, like what are what are we really doing here? Like there's I'd, NFL teams are also starting to flip these guys for flip those picks for rentals. Like we saw the Steelers do that and the Rams do that with their seventh round picks um, in order to get Allen Robinson to Pittsburgh. Um, it's just. It's it's kind of uh, to bring this onto another draft tangent kind of feels like what the MLS draft has become where it's like, oh, here's a cookie. Like, we don't really care about this, look about at, this look thing. At how many people skip their picks in the MLS draft after the first round? People yeah. skip second round picks. It's meanwhile, we, I, guess, I guess we're <laughs> we're also, you know, it's one of those where it's like, you know, yes, all three of us follow European soccer it's an open market. There's no draft. There's no, it's like find a team that fits your needs or a team that wants you and go play for them. I don't know. Seems like that works pretty well too. That works really well, but then you can't have the salary cap because then you go back to the old school days of first round pick. Oh man. Who had the, who was the lions quarterback or was it the Rams quarterback that got the largest contract before they put the, uh, the spending caps oh, on God. Who was that? Oh, um, worked out really well. Really for bad. Him too. So Sam, it wasn't Sam Bradford. Was it? No, it was way before Bradford. 
Um, um, I'm looking this up now. Highest. But yeah, I remember when that all happened. Um, oh the oh, um, um, it was. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I have to. This is really good for audio. The overlay. This is great. This. Here we go. Matt Stafford got yeah. 72 million from the Lions. Sam Bradford got 76 from St. Louis. Jesus. And before that, um, Nindam- King Sue got 68 million uh, from the Lions. Yeah. yeah. That's... So if you want to if you want to know why that there is a draft and the way things are the way they are, there's your reason. <laughs> but that was with a draft. Yes, but that was back. But to your point, that was with the hey, we're, we can just pay you whatever you want. Uh, and these are all really valuable commodities, uh, young young players that don't have much mileage on them in a sport that t- takes a ton of mileage. Now, now that those things are cost-controlled, uh, the league loves that because it allows you to then pay insert quarterback from this past offseason who got paid a, a ton of money. Uh, that's, that's, that's where all that money is going. Still all seems, seems stupid to me. Somehow leagues in Europe can pay ridiculous amounts for players and yet still keep their tickets at like 30 bucks. And still suck. Well, cough, cough, Chelsea. Oh yeah. hundred <laughs> well, percent. I don't know why you're always. comparing things to a mid table team here, but not, I mean, <laughs> I mean, when you get to top level teams, not always, it's, it's not always just 30 bucks. No, but you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I, it's, it's 30 bucks at Aston Villa. It's 30 bucks at Stamford bridge, depending on the seat you get. Uh, but I have that, not. I mean, but it's also we, we paid 60 for down in like and this is, you know, to shit, 10 years ago now. Um, yeah, you like, are you are talking to two guys who also have fans who are going to pay extraordinary amounts for for their oh, yeah. ticket prices at their stadiums. Well, yeah, and that's that's actually been driving up because of the American influx or like yeah. general tourist influx. You, you, you're got you've got a person here who paid an insane amount of money to watch his team play an exhibition match. Oh, tickets uh, here are more expensive than over there. Yeah. Chelsea I don't know versus what Wrexham man was you, 200 which bucks. Which also... Yeah, the Man U Wrexham exhibition is going to be so much money between uh, Man U and a, four, and a fourth tier team. I was going to say, Christian, have you checked out the prices for Arsenal Man U at MetLife yet? No, I don't want to. <laughs> do they take noons bucks <laughs> um, I wish they did or disloyal dollars is that what we uh, is that what we rebranded it to for the pod Dis- disloyal dollars uh, oh boy the yeah here we go newjersey.com the right now the ticket oh, no. the tickets for a exhibition match between Arsenal and Manchester United Cheapest ticket right now is one hundred and ninety three dollars. Oh my god! Most expensive ticket is nine hundred and seventeen dollars. Not great, Bob. And people, so it's an exhibition. So wait, so wait, what was the what was Bruno the Fernandez ticket? isn't going to play in that? The cheapest ticket to that game is more expensive than seasons at Syracuse. Yes, like my season tickets for football are half the price of that ticket. Yes. Now, don't say that out loud. You don't want to give them ideas. <laughs> Fair, I mean, yeah. Do we want to go that down that rant? T- that that, that's that's a long rant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
that's another cut cut the, cut the mic cue cue the uh, radio music and I've got I've got some I got some intel on that. Uh, oh man! But uh, before we go into the the last bit of the podcast and football podcasts, let's thanks thanks uh, to our friend Homefield Apparel, makers of the comfiest not bre- break the bank expensive uh, hoodies, t shirts, joggers. Uh, that are out there. They are super comfortable. They have your favorite retro college logos on them. Or if you're someone like me that needed to kind of uh, not classy up their wardrobe, but maybe just make their wardrobe a little bit more muted for work settings. Uh, their core collection T-shirts are now all I wear. Uh, I am not kidding you. I only wear home field apparel T-shirts Monday through Fridays. Uh, it is fantastic. I highly recommend you do that right now. I don't know if it's still going on, but they were having, if you download the Home Field Apparel app, you get 10% off your order automatically for using the app, and they were having a special app-only 30% off clearance sale uh, with a lot of those core essentials in there as well. So definitely go check out Home Field Apparel. We appreciate them, as always, for sponsoring the pod. Uh, thank you to Connor and the crew for making great t-shirts. There is somebody who will be looking for new t-shirts to wear that aren't Syracuse two people two people uh let's start with the quarterback um the guy who was once heralded as the next Eric Dungy uh who in his recruiting profile in his recruiting uh buzz was basically called Eric Dungy 2.0 is now leaving the program Justin Lampson is entering the transfer portal I say this to say facetiously one, this is why the three of us never get super excited about recruiting. <laughs> Except for me. Well, when you're dealing with three stars, this is what happens. Yeah. The variance is incredibly high. <laughs> um, But two, I do think that it's kind of interesting here that we're looking at a situation where Lampson, who did tear an ACL last season, is now behind Carson Del Rio Wilson. Carlos, and though. enough so that he feels the need to transfer. I and it's it's odd because what we saw in the spring game was him running with the twos. I know Dino said it was a coin flip, but uh, I mean he looked very comfortable with the twos. I'm I'm wondering if it's something ex, you know we we're never gonna know why these kids jump in the portal. Like it could be something not even Syracuse related. He could just want to transfer closer to home or do something like i you can't blame yeah, them like, for yeah. transferring but like remember he's, he's from he's from the sacramento area That's right kind of a long way to go yeah it's not like he's a jersey kid up here so you know if we see him go west coast you know but maybe that's what it was or something along those lines like he knows he's in a coin flip battle and that you know there's a chance he doesn't win the job and or who knows who knows what the deal is with schrader we still haven't heard whether he's been you know anointed or they leave it open or whatever uh i would assume you know all intents or all signs point to writing the you know quarterback that got you to six and oh in the bowl game but um yeah it, it's it's a weird situation when the number two takes off um well technically the number three or the two b it, it's I, it it's, never came out that he was officially like behind uh carlos del rio wilson or anything and in the spring game, he was playing ahead of him. Yeah. So 
maybe just because it was that close who knows i mean we can speculate we can do whatever but either way it does it's bad news bears for the syracuse quarterback room because we're down to three we went from yeah. having that be our strength in depth to three guys and to me that i i i only say like as me the disappointed one because i i was initially when when Nance, when Lampson initially uh, committed to Syracuse, I was one of the guys who was very, very, very excited about his potential in the program, especially, you know, g- given all the comparisons to Dungey. Um, and it's just disappointing to see that uh, he won't finish it out with Syracuse. Um, because I, I, I still think he could have been a very, very good player for Syracuse if, you know, things went his way. But unfortunately, you know, I think the injury last year really, really hampered his development in terms yeah. of like what he could have been. Like, yeah. I don't like Syracuse probably doesn't go for Carlos Del Rio Wilson if um, Lamson doesn't get injured. So, yeah. and Lamson looked very good last spring. Exactly. Yeah. So, I don't which, know. which 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 makes it even more disappointing because I I really liked his game. Yeah. And I I, I personally think he should have been in front of Del Rio Wilson. But. Yeah. Now the, I guess the the inevitable first reaction from a lot of people is sky is falling. Like what's going on? Everybody's transferring. The, everyone's transferring everywhere. And one thing I just want to get out there is the sky isn't falling until the until we don't sign anyone before fall camp. Because there's transfers Which, out, but as yeah. long as there's an influx back in it's fine if there's not then yes you know sound every alarm possible it, it's why like the db hit of losing jog carter and losing douche chestnut was softened a little bit based on you know bringing back golden bell being right. golden bellamy into the program so like at least that blow was softened a little bit no that said we're still down a lot of bodies yeah so just going one for one isn't going to do it we do also need to get the roster up to you know snuff and yeah, and the, and the problem is, is that you, you need this roster needs a little bit more upheaval than just you know replace who left. Yeah, yeah, and I think that again, we were talking about the. I, I mentioned this earlier, but like this is why the transfer portal is so important for Syracuse to be aggressive with it, uh, because. No matter what, players are going to leverage this transfer portal. I think that we've seen that now that there's a variety of circumstances that lead to players jumping into the portal um, outside of NIL. And if you are going to be a program like Syracuse that does not have the resources to develop three-star talent at a guaranteed clip, you need to be willing to say, look, where can we... What other programs do we like the way that they develop their guys? And when certain players hit the portal from those coaches, how do we get them into Syracuse to continue that development track? And you can look at a lot of schools that are doing it really well that have rebounded very quickly. Like the example that everyone uses, but it's it's because it's a great example, is Kansas State. Like that was always a program that relied pretty heavily on JUCOs and transfers coming into the program in order to kind of round out uh, a four-win team into a six-win team or a six-win team into an eight-win team. 
And in this transfer portal era with a coach and a very cohesive development staff, they've been able to do that much more aggressively and been able to build a lot more success. So I think that there's very clearly a recipe here, but it requires a ton of coordination and evaluation. And I I think that we've covered enough here about how from an infrastructure standpoint, we don't think Syracuse is there. But it's not like the roadmap doesn't exist. This is not an impossible task when you're coming to a sport like football, where, yes, resources matter. Yes, dollars matter a lot. But because of the roster size and because of the roster churn, if you have a system in place, the system can help keep you afloat during the lean years so that you're not completely bottoming out when things go poorly. And unfortunately, at Syracuse, we have seen things completely bottom out because things don't go the way that they're supposed to go. <laughs> and those years were not fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of transfer portal news, let's go to the other one. Um, the one position that we could not really afford to lose a player at, we lost a player at. Jatius, Jadius, Jatius? Jatius. Jatius Greer. Gear. Uh, and Gear. Greer. Why, and he's I right on the I, names today. Names. <laughs> names. No, I, there's a, there's a uh, person from somebody. You need a, a whiteboard. person from Syracuse. <laughs> you need a whiteboard up, was a above. Oh, I'm, I'm just a mess right now. Uh, Jatius Gear is entering the transfer portal. 33 tackles, 6.5 tackles for losses, 3.5 sacks last season. One of the biggest returning members of the defensive line because he was one of the only returning members of the defensive line uh, with production. This one is not ideal. No, it's not great. No, Um, I think it hurts a little bit less mainly because of what Syracuse has been showing in, in the spring games and during the spring practices, which is the intention to play Braylon Ingraham as a defensive end. Yeah. So and I think may, that's why. That may also have impacted the decision, too, if he's yeah. showing well. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I think that's I think that's one of the big things why it doesn't hurt less and why it doesn't hurt as much. And like you said, why probably it influenced his decision because if Ingraham, I like I I'm not sure how much he showed, but if he showed enough, it. I mean to get recruited by Alabama and uh, is and and itself alone is a heads up in the first place. So you knew that he was coming in with some talent. Yeah, and I mean Gears Gears a South Carolina kid, so if we see him head back somewhere around there. As always, it may be influenced around that, and it is what it is. I don't know. Yeah. I, I I think this. I would give us a couple couple years before this transfer portal stuff all starts to settle out, and we understand this brave new world that we're living in. Um, because right now, it's just like it's the wild west. Like anybody goes anywhere for any reason. There's no rhyme or reason, and yeah, here we are. Uh, the unfortunate thing is, is that I don't think it's going to get settled out at all until the administration figure out a way to put in like actual guidelines that they're comfortable with and that everyone else is comfortable with. Yeah, which is not going to happen for years, I think. Yeah, yeah. 
So for the record, uh, just so that we, uh, just so that those listening know, uh, current Syracuse players in the portal, because today is the last day there yesterday. Yesterday was the last day. Yesterday was the last day. Yeah. I think well, no, today. today. Yeah. Okay. Today? So it might be by, by midnight. We'll know everybody that's in the portal. Uh, currently Justin Lampson, Jettius gear, uh, or Jatias, whatever. I can't remember. I need to, I need to put it on the whiteboard. Maybe I don't, depending. Yeah, I was gonna um, say maybe you don't. <laughs> I don't think you need to anymore. Jacobian Morgan. Um uh Queely left for he landed at somewhere. I literally just had this up and now my computer's screwing up. Landed at Georgia Southern. Uh Deuce, of course, to LSU. Damian Alford went in and came out. Um I forgot you went in. <laughs> yeah. Uh he went. Yeah, that was it was within uh, a day of each other. He went in and then withdrew on the 11th. Uh, hmm. So Steve Linton to Texas Tech. Jihad Carter to Ohio State. Chad Schuster, a backup offensive lineman to Western Michigan. He's a, Mich- a Wisconsin guy. Um, Courtney Jackson to Arkansas State. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Jeremiah Wilson uh, went in and came out as well. And um, that's what we lost for the year. Tyler Tyler Magnuson, Josh Josh Ho, and Dom Foster. Dom Foster and Ho have not landed anywhere. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's been the tale of the Syracuse transfer portal this year. Names. Yeah, I mean, there's there's five that have gone in and haven't declared somewhere, and everyone that left, you know, uh, it was a very mixed bag of either jumping way above Syracuse's weight or way below. Because mm-hmm. like Deuce, Linton, and Carter all punched above where Cuse is. Everybody else dropped significantly. I'm not going to lie. Arkansas State is not in the same league as Syracuse. <laughs> you don't say. Same with Georgia Southern. But, yeah. Well, uh, on that wonderful topic, let's move to another wonderful topic. Lacrosse. How How could we possibly be more... Is there any way we could be more positive? <laughs> Like we tr- we started with the draft stuff and it's all been downhill since then. Yes, because Syracuse. Yeah, that's that's where we're at. That's literally like we're just we're we're the dog in the the gif with the fire and just saying this is fine. This mm-hmm. is fine. Yeah, we could lie. We right. could just straight up not tell the truth. But <laughs> uh, men's lacrosse. Played hard against Duke, but can't pull out the win, which I feel like could be the headline for a lot of the men's lacrosse games this season. Um, at at this point, the uh, the season is over for the Orange. They finish eight and seven, one and five in the ACC. Uh, I'm going to make the assumption, Christian, that they are not making the NCAA tournament. <laughs> 
they needed a win against either Virginia or Duke. And you and I and I I'm not convinced that just one win would have even given them a chance. I think they needed both of those wins. So we are now in year two of the Gary Gate year of the Gary Gate era, and I'm obviously not calling for anything here. But we knew that this transition away from Desco was going to be difficult. Uh, and I say this as we all mentally foreshadow what is about to happen in basketball. Transitioning away from a program legend is difficult because the program legend looms over the program a lot. And I feel like Gate was as good of a choice as you could have made given the situation. But obviously here, it's not just, oh, replace the coach and everything goes back to, you know, dominating days it's still really hard to run a program and you have to be really good to run it. Um, I think that the men's lacrosse program has done a lot of the right things. See one Joey Spelina uh, and Owen Hiltz and a lot of other names on this roster who are tremendously talented. But Christian, is it right to say that there are just some really obvious holes in this team that are holding them back from competing at the level that we expect them to compete at. Yeah. It's too easy to say that because you see where their strengths are uh, in this team. It's the offense and the weaknesses in the offense. A lot of it had to do with it being a young offense, a, an incohesive offense that mainly was due to that offense being a jambled mess of grad transfers and, talented freshman, which talent alone is great, but you know, you've got to have some sort of cohesion between all of them, which didn't work at times. Um, and during the Duke game, that kind of flared up during the games where they went on some cold offensive streaks, um, where they had a lot of turnovers. That's what, that, that's what showed up. Uh, but offensive wise, I, like there's still a lot of talent there when you have the likes of Spolina, Hiltz, Finn Thompson, Michael Leo, uh, Luke Roa is still around. So, like, those guys are going to be the backbone of building the program for at least the next couple of years. Uh, but, the, like you said, the holes are clear. Um, they're only going to get bigger because defensive-wise, it's still a very, very leaky defense. Face-off-wise, Syracuse hasn't had a fa- consistent face-off guy since Ben Williams I was in, the, say. in the mid-2010s. And then in goal, you got to figure out what you're doing in goal because Mark was a grad transfer, so he's gone. So my question to you, and it's something I thought about the last two weeks, what do you think this team's record is with a competent FOGO? A competent FOGO? I think they snag it. With a competent FOGO, I think they snag one or two wins. I don't think the FOGO alone is enough to make up for the defensive woes. Yeah, it, was just it definitely back helps. To a couple it of helps a lot. It, it helps like, a lot because there was a lot of uh, there were a lot of possessions where, like, there were a lot of possessions where you saw what happened in the Notre Dame game, where the offense just didn't touch the ball. But then there were other times where the offense also. The reason why I'm hesitant to say maybe just one, maybe two, is because there were also the, the offensive problems of turnovers was also a big thing, and now mm-hmm. they clean they cleaned those up a little bit. Uh, towards the end, uh, but not fully, as you saw in the Duke game. But I, I think the defensive problems were just as much to blame as for the 
face-off problems. Oh, fair enough. And that's I they're yeah. they're young Which, they are a young core, mm-hmm. but that and it's the bar a, things and it's the recent and it's I think the where, this is where you go and now say gate. I think you can. I think with gate at the helm, I think like you said, it's too early to think about any type of coaching change with Kate. I don't think and there's that, that should never, that should not be a question at all for at least the next couple of seasons. I think it should be a question with Petra Mall next season. If the defense doesn't show at least some improvement, uh, because then you're going on year three with the defense still looking not great. And then it's got to stop somewhere. Well, you know what also stopped? Uh, the women's lacrosse dominating run. Uh, a team that we had basically written off because they were so dominant uh, has really hit the schneid, uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, reminder that they were the number one team in the country and they knocked off number five North Carolina at Chapel Hill 14 to 12. Since then, they lost to Boston College home they eked by virginia tech who is you know not a school that they should be struggling with uh for for reference they beat virginia tech by 11 goals uh earlier this season uh and then they lose to north carolina 15 to 9 um john's uh recap what the heck's going on with this team They say that seeing is believing, but they never had to see what's unfolding with the Syracuse Orange women's lacrosse team over the past week. The Orange unfortunately continued one of the strangest late season turns I've ever seen as they got blown off the field by the North North Carolina Tar Heels. Uh, And then he goes on to say how they were never even in this game from the get go. Um, It is I do not like Syracuse women's sports getting three fourths of the way done with a job and then just let's stop it Uh, this is yeah the women's basketball thing might have been a little bit triggering for me not gonna lie yep (laughs) um swiftly moving on well i mean the the tough part is is that the women as i didn't realize this but like uh selection sunday is not until may 7th uh so they have to sit with this for a while and i am really interested to see how this team responds. I feel like this is a probably Kayla tra- uh, trainers biggest challenge that she's had as a coach. Like your team is very clearly mentally and or physically taxed and or off kilter. And you now have a week or so of inactivity and end of the semester where you have to kind of navigate this and get them back on track. Like that is not an easy go of it. And if they don't, you know, win at least one, if not multiple NCAA tournament games, we're talking about them in a very similar disappointing tone as we're talking about the men's, uh, as we just talked about the men's men's team. Honestly, for this team, if they don't make it to the final, I think it's disappointing. Ooh. To ride the number one that that entire year and then have the wheels fall off. And yeah, that's that's where the... Yeah, I, I, I don't think you would have said that at the beginning of the year, but given how the regular season went, I think anything less than a finals appearance is disappointing. Yeah, that sounds right. 
I, I, I'm not... I'm definitely not disagreeing with the fact that this was the most dominant team in the country. The expectation was very clearly Final Four. Uh, it just feels weird to kind of look at what happened and then say, oh yeah, this team can figure it out and go to the Final Four. That is... Uh, worrisome to say the least uh so again we have until may 7th until selection sunday rolls around for us to know what's really going on there or to uh sorry rather figure out what the path is going to be and figure out if they can make it right but yeah lacrosse stuff not great bob uh i think we are now at time so i am definitely wrapping this if we didn't get the things saving it for next week because we're in the off season and we need to talk about things Thank you very much for listening to Disoil Idiots, a fan's First Nation podcast. Uh, as always, like and subscribe on the podcast platform of choice that you're listening to. It helps us trick the AI into expanding the Ottoman Empire. If you're watching us on Twitch uh, at Disloyal Idiots, thank you so much. We really appreciate you spending your Sunday nights with us. We do this every Sunday night around 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, additionally, we want to thank everybody uh, over at our friends, Noon's Magician, who allow us to post this on the site. And... If you're watching or listening to this on the site, thank you again for following us uh, as we as we move through and uh, switch our podcast network, uh, switch our podcast networks. We 